Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we take on generative AI, what people are now just generically calling ChatGPT, and put it in a technical frame, meaning can we use generative AI to improve our programming, our testing, our automation? What does it take to actually use these concepts in ways that iteratively improve the IT infrastructures that we're building? Um, and while that's an important topic, we definitely work our way into it, reviewing the state of uh, chat and uh, chat GPT, AI infrastructure and things like that. So definitely a lot of components in this, if you're following the space that you will enjoy uh, listening to. Have a good time. There was some some recent, uh, then like within the last year, AI. I think it was some Microsoft-led one too. But after after like a couple of weeks of, of being trained on social media, started getting like writing like the press uh, yeah. and antisocial kind of. Uh, that was the Microsoft one, and then the the Google with the Google AI leader who uh was con- became convinced that it was senti- sentient yeah that, i mean that that one was just uh after listening to the new york times reporter and hearing their conversation um i i could see where people would be very it's it i i, think, I mean it's, it's all it's, it's sentient I, it's, I, I, it, yeah I have doubts about it. Like sentience requires awareness of your existence, and in this case, uh, I firmly believe. And again, like this applies to both the the, the new Google's uh, chat one, mm-hmm. uh, the one from New York Times, as well as the old one, and that they're being trained on on user input, and I would. Put my money on it. Uh, also having a self feedback loop, right? Like, but uh, okay. So this this is actually where I I'm interested in the conversation going, which is can the AIs police the AIs? Like, because a generative AI is just like it's a pleaser, so it's just working anticipating what would be the next thing to say and then putting you know providing that and then getting your your reaction and then providing the right yeah building off of that it's it's generative um it doesn't i i I, assuming i don't know that it's there's a second pass guardrail pass or a second loop back in that right i mean the model's trained so well I mean, with the with the models that feed into themselves, like that, you have your entry point trained, but then the more you interact with it, that interaction uh, affects the weights of mm-hmm. newer ones. And yes, if if the if the system. Um, Cross pollinates and uses, for example, uh, the results from your interaction to weigh the interaction with me. Well, oh. it, it will tend towards what the majority of users drive it to. And well, like if you if you train it on on interactions with general population well unfortunately the likes of 3chan uh or, or sorry uh 4chan are going to outweigh the the regular users and mm-hmm. uh try to drive the uh um the communication towards more extremes particularly right now because it's a new tool so everyone is is trying <laughs> to get it to do something wrong so, so would 
Right. So, so the, the topic for the day, right, was verifying generative programming and automation, um, which, which I think we will get to, but from that perspective, I mean, is part of the answer here to just train on a more um, limited set of data? Um, I mean, if, yes, if you know, okay. so, so if you want to play it safe, then yes, you, you need to train it on curated data. Okay. Uh, and that is great for expert systems and, and, and the like. Like, for example, you, you could easily point it at Wikipedia or um, the Oxford Encyclopedia or something like that and, and get great dictionary type knowledge. But it will lack the conversational nuance. Particularly mm, because right. social media is very fickle. Like you, you say something is cool today and, and everyone likes it. You say it again next week. Well, the coolest. <laughs> so last week, like, uh, what are you, a dinosaur? So, um, well, there's there's also new, you know current events and news and things that you have to factor into the. Um, yeah, exactly. So. In order to be convincing, it needs to ingest the, uh, this this kind of content. The whole, um, the whole, and, right. and the problem is that, like, it does not have a moral compass. So this right. is the like the equivalent of letting a a kid go wild on the internet. That they're they're gonna pick things up and they're not gonna understand. What is or what? What should or should not be said? Um, so, is that a problem on scoring the inputs somehow, or is it something that's going to be like, I mean, a moderate, you know, basically some better moderation or some better? Um, it, it's a little bit of column A, a little of column column B. Also, a little bit of a lot of these training models assume that the input is true. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's always really difficult in, in AI or natural language processing in general to deal with contradictions. Well, some um, of this gen generative stuff isn't even a matter of true or false. It's just basically what word comes next in, in the preferred output right truth truth is not truth is not the goal <laughs> well i mean consider consider it this way okay so i guess it has to be yeah. so so it, let, let's say the, the first word is hot what comes after that is it lunch is it potato okay mm. it, it's both are true but one of them might be more correct than the other, or neither of them might be correct. Like if the next word should be topic. So mm. you you have a lot of like and, and particularly with, with again with social media, there is a lot of interactions, it is very fluid. Um and the combination that works today might not work to might not work tomorrow. It, it's very context dependent. Um which is it's which very, is the mirror the miracle of these generative AIs is that they're actually doing a really good job of interpreting context, right? Surprisingly good job of interpreting yeah, context. They're also really good at prompting for more information when the context is incomplete. Hmm. Like for example, like if if you ask it like, okay, hmm. try like Assuming A, tell me about B, and, and then it says, like, well, I don't know A, and you tell it, well, A is similar to C, and now, inter like, extrapolate. And I was like, okay, like, considering C, this is what I know about B. Uh, right. So it, it's it's a real, ChatGPT is a really good in inference engine. Um, I don't know how well Bing's or or, my, um, or uh, 
or even uh, Google's um, solution is at that. Um, I, I strongly suspect that Bing's puts a lot more weight on fresh input versus uh, the starting corpus that's trained on, um, which is both good and bad. Uh, it, it means that it it evolves faster or it, it improves faster or has a chance to improve faster. Uh, it also, however, means that it is easier to lead to lead it astray. And um, considering that these inputs can grow organically, yeah. they, they're, they're going to be hard to police. Like uh, you can try to to put rule-based constraints, in which case you're you risk crippling your system or, or at least severely handicapping it. Um, or you can let it go wild, in which case, well, you've seen the results of that. Um, I, I, my preferred yeah. approach, again, is to establish domain-specific implementations. So I, I, I don't like general all-purpose generative tools. And, and, and that is because okay. it ends up being like a check of filtrate master of none. Um, it's, it's good for situations where the, um, where the content has little informational volume, like, again, casual conversation. But, um, Particularly to a topic here, like if if you want to use it to produce software or or these software templates, um, do you, do you really need input from someone who wants it wants to use it to write novels? Does it help you at all? Uh, I I think it would be a huge help from that perspective. Right. I mean, it's especially if you if you were good at prompting. But would it be your work? <laughs> well, um, uh, how, I mean, there, there's how, a, that, that that's almost the third. That's almost the third. So hold on, let me let me pull that back because that's a Thursday morning type topic <laughs> where where we're at, talking about ownership of it. Where what you're asking is like. If if I ask it to produce a, a work like marketing copy, um, how do I? You know, is it? Are, are you asking down the va validation route? Because that's that's where I no, would go. I, from I'm the thinking topic, a, a more extreme situation, like like a lot simpler, a, a lot more more extreme. And that let's say I need to write a Terraform module to bring up an EKS cluster. So and, and, I, and I want it to be relatively secure. So I tell ChatGPT, like, create me a Terraform module to uh, to bring up uh, a an EKS cluster with private subnets and um, unreasonable firewall rules. Does it does it does ChatGPT having also been trained on an input on writing a romance novel help it at all with that? Answer is probably not. I, I mean, I, I would think that it, if, say, you needed to take the dialogue and make the dialogue sound more authentic, or you were looking for, like, I mean, you could do something pretty crazy, like, say, this is a situation. I, you know, give me three scenarios where a person responds this way. It's pretty powerful prompting from that, right? I mean, you could, I, and and I would say the same. This the the thing I'm I'm interested in from a tech side is could you like 
code that way? Could I build, and actually I'm really interested in, could I test that way? Could I build code and then say, hey, chat GPT, I want you to, or, you know, generative AI, I want you to build, you know, you know, test, test algorithms for this, this routine. That strikes me as amazing. And, and, And that would be, but the, so there you are comparing the the algorithm. So you're talking about the algorithm, and 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 I don't disagree that that the, the algorithm to be able to be generative would be great. I'm talking about the training and the feedback corpus. Ah, okay. But like it, it's it's. I mean, if 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 we're taking a like a, a human equivalent, this is would be like like asking a novel writer to to write from uh, a programming language. Like it's <laughs> they, they they may have some familiarity with it, uh, or that they might the like a, if if the novel is about programming, they they might consult with an expert. But that's delegation. That's not intrinsic knowledge. So along the same lines, what I would expect is that whatever generative tool I use is tailored to my needs. So ah, so that that and, and one of the side effects with that is that it also minimizes the input that can lead it astray. So for example, a a generative tool that is trained to write scientific publications would use a very different language from a generative tool that is trained to write comedy or horror or or even if a, a film script. Might want the the comedy one on the scientific writing, but yeah. I mean, comedy <laughs> no, it, can, can I, be I mean, useful. What, it's uh, what, what you're tool. what you're describing is, I think, meaningful in that right. There's enough there's enough inputs here to create, um, you know, a, a spe- like if if I'm writing a scientific paper, train on scientific papers. Don't train on science fiction. <laughs> Please don't train on science fiction because then you're going to get things like flux capacitors coming in um, as as part of that. And it'd be interesting to actually have uh, generative AIs trained in in more narrow use cases. Um, Similar from a human standpoint in which you wouldn't expect somebody that's gone and studied on one particular topic and like, okay, great. You spent years and years working on that. So now I need you to do something completely different. <laughs> that's exactly my point. Like we're, we're treating these yeah. generative tools as a, I say, one-stop shop. Like, but... I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm thinking of Dunning-Kruger for AIs. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, right. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, but so I mean the same thing is true. If you're training it on programming, then you know in some ways you're hoping that the code that's reviewing is good code. I guess that's going to surface just from the the law of large numbers. Assume I'm assuming. I mean, I mean, yeah. It it also it depends on the training purpose. Like if if you train it on on Stack Overflow, then God help us all. Uh, if you train it on on GitHub, um, and I mean that that's essentially what what GitHub is already doing with their own generative tools, right? Yeah. So, to some degree, we we are we already have these these very very narrow domain specific tools, uh, and, and like the legal questions aside, uh, it, right. It's an it's an interesting and it's, it's an interesting uh, approach and and I think the cat's out of the bag like we can't ungenerative 
AI things. Like it's here to stay. Um, okay, but yeah, it's so, so. So that's that. Go ahead. But so so from a from a thinking about how it's, it's here to stay, <laughs> um, and let's let's leave behind whether the it had permission to use the source material that it used. It's all the soup is mixed already. Um, I, boy, it's so hard to say some of those things when I, when I don't firmly believe it. But for for discussion, let's 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 start there. I, how do we know that it's actually building good code? Is running the code enough? And and I would love to extend this to automation because I think automation is code like but not code. Well, how how do you if you hire a programmer? How do you know they're, that they're writing good code? Oh goodness, you don't. You're right. Um, All right. I you mean, style guides, and you potentially use glinting tools and some test automation as a possible mechanism after the fact. Well, you use those to ensure that they're, they're yeah. that they're the code that they write is acceptable, at least in, in terms of style. But you also use peer review. Now, I mean, I've I've heard of people using generative AI for you know writing reviews. We could actually, I mean, it seems like we should be entering a golden era of of generative AI code review. We should. In this. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, though. It it is definitely a worth worthwhile approach where at, at minimum you cannot. You can have generative AI check for common issues, like let, let, let's say, like any anything that that doesn't exactly that require a or or doesn't exactly match a linter rule. Let, let's say, yeah, you you can check for pep eight or for for indentation or a particular style guide. Uh, yeah, but that's. But, but I mean, you should uh, AI should be able to give you a should tell you if this code's maintainable. Yeah, exactly. Or so what? Okay. What AI should be able to do to say is look look at your code and say, hey, I I noticed that you used regression here, but you could change it to a loop, and then avoid a stack workflow or something. Um, those are the, the the kind of situations where we think AI would be more useful, like as a refactoring tool, not so much as a as an accuracy tool. Along the lines of the, the refactor, one of the things that came to mind for me was all of the the old quote unquote legacy apps. What what would AI do to take a crack at essentially refactoring all of those? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's something actually modernized, just modernizing them. Yeah. So so what once once you have the AI being like producing peer reviewed material, the next thing that 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 it does is it builds up trust. Whether it's a good trust or bad trust, that's yet to be determined. But, but just like just the way we establish trust with other peers by building up a reputation. Like, yeah, this this person mm. consistently or 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 most of the time puts out good material. They still need review, but uh I can trust them to do certain things right. The same I expect. What will happen with generative AI? But in order for that to happen, I think the AI is also going to need the equivalent of a software bill of material for their training purpose. Like you want to be able to say, hmm. Okay, I trusted this AI last week, and this week <laughs> it produced a result that I didn't like. 
what changed? What caused it to drop in quality? Well, with that, not understanding all the full logistics of it, my thought would be, does that mean that it needs to be granted permission to, let's say if it's doing the peer review, train on certain peer reviews and that it's seeing data in terms of coming in and maybe we don't want it to see that data. And so is that a a mechanism of us that having that guided experience from a, a training perspective? I think at the minimum, we would want a versioned corpus that where we're picking a version is or or, um, or corpus or training set where we're picking a version is simple. Like if, if, if I am happy with how the generative AI worked last week, and I'm unhappy with, with how it worked this week, I should be able to, with relative ease, exclude a portion of its training input or its feedback input that happened between last week and this week. Uh, and if that oh, that's fascinating. brings it back to a uh, to a state where it again produces an output that I like, then I should be able to provide feedback on on that corpus itself and say like, hey, this needs to be revealed. That's that's making assumption that we're closed loop on these models, even though, which is not necessarily uh the way they're they're set up today. Oh, it's definitely not how they're set up today. But but it's how it's the only way that I can think of that can that this can be brought forward like mm-hmm. un, un, unless the ai corpus the the training corpus on the algorithm it, it has come to a point where it can distinguish bad input from good input and self regulate it still needs that supervision and and honestly, at, when it gets to the point where it can't self-regulate like that and basically just run without additional feedback, right? That, then we're basically done. We say like, yeah, th- this is as good as uh, as sentient as you're gonna get. But <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon. So yeah, the next I, best I, thing I is supervision. <laughs> I have this terrifying vision of somebody taking a generative AI programming and saying, I want you to build a uh, sentient, um, you know, <laughs> sentient program and then keep, you know, apply rinse repeat um, until until they achieve one um, from a generative perspective. But but All right, that, you're um, talking about singularity at that point. Yeah, I mean, that's it. The thing that occurred to me is that, you know, if you generate the generative, if you keep going through those generative processes at some point, that you know, it's so much faster. Um, but from that perspective, right, what we don't talk about is, you know, parallel. I, mean, I know I know people do this in AI and I know that like research AI does this all the time. They do they do parallel iterative development, uh, select the best answer and then and then kill off the the bad ones. Mm-hmm. As a tra- as a training, yeah, neural networks. Um, um, I, it just it feels to me like we're missing in these generative tools. We're assuming it's giving us safe outputs, and I, I don't think that's a safe bet, right? Um, I think it's a I think that's a dangerous assumption, especially when I look at like automation. I would love to see a generative AI that you could then run, you know. <sighs> Let me let me take a step backwards. I, I think automation is really hard to build because it's it's not self-contained. It's very dependent on externalities. And so if you could build automation or say take you know the, the body of automation that we've built, and you look at it and you're like, oh, wait a second, this is if this is going to run on you know CentOS 8, then these these issue that you know, you're going to get errors running on CentOS 8 for this script. 
Um, it's a leap ability, of faith. That would be amazing. It, it, it's a leap of faith, but I'm not ruling it out. Because, right. because on the matter of automation, I was a curmudgeonly skeptical person. Okay. Until like 10 years ago, I, I was firmly against automation because I was like, well, what, what if it goes wrong? Like, how do I recover okay. from it? <laughs> but now... I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a Kubernetes to, architect. to see that version of you. <laughs> now I'm a Kubernetes architect, and I embrace the automation. Okay. Because I I took that leap of faith, and, and I realized that the automation is works more often than it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it has the necessary safeguards and, and, and capabilities for me to step in and mm. adjust it. So, but is, is there an opportunity here to do generative AI to take a basic script and say, I want you to then embed the safeguards, like stuff, stuff that we don't do well, <laughs> um, where you're like, all right, I got this work. I mean, I do, this happens to me all the time, right? I write something that works on, you know, OS X in this scenario. And then, you know, it's very hard for me to imagine the, the, uh, you know, how that would, how that would work on other operating systems or things like that. Even though it's pretty trivial at the end of the day, it's, but it's a matter of understanding them, seeing the patterns, the practice, right. Running all those processes. I, I think there, there is an opportunity for that. And, and okay. I think in the longer term, it's viable. Um, whether it looks anything like what we have today or not, that's mm. yet to be decided. There's definitely tooling and processes missing to make it practical. Uh, but then again, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't think it was practical for for, for configuration management and, and for for workload management and, sure. and look where we are now like Kubernetes is basically a household name now and so um it can happen it can happen fast uh it just needs yeah. the right catalyst i think the the place it provides that opportunity is helping folks like the software vendors create better interfaces for an AI or even human beings to be able to better interact with those systems. A lot of the challenge that I, I've seen in developing automation or orchestration is just the way that the, the software platform, the platform that you're trying to interact with responds to what I'm trying to do. And then obviously the, the variance between those platforms. And so if there's an opportunity to create either, a, unfortunately, an abstraction layer or help make those interfaces to those platforms much easier, then I think a, a situation and scenario where AI can, can really just accelerate, I think becomes much easier. Uh, it, it also requires, I think, a change in perspective with regards to AI. Because right now with ChatGPT, almost everyone that writes about it is writing about how they're able to break it. And, and I mean that's easy. Like it, it, like it's the equivalent of, of writing a bad search query and saying like, "See, like if, if I enter this in Google, I don't get any results." Well, yeah, you're not entering the right search query, and and it takes skills to do to create a good search query for some of the more ephemeral um, topics. Right. Same thing needs to happen with with generative AI where the focus needs to switch like the novelty first needs to drop like it needs to become boring once that happens the focus will will have to switch to okay how do i make the best out of this trend of ai how can i how can i phrase my questions and, and not only the questions but the the, the threat 
of the conversation so that I get improved results. And that will then switch the the uh, the optics on 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 generative AI from again a novelty on, on a toy to just another tool. And, and when you treat it as just another tool, then you adopt it more readily. And when you adopt it more readily, you start seeing, well, this is where it can be improved. This is how it can be constrained so that I can get results that are specific to my query. And at that point, there's going to be a feedback loop where companies are going to say like, hey, there is a market here for this kind of feature, like this kind of supervision or feedback loop and build it market it and then iterate on it just like and it's just going to be standard business at that point i i guess i come back if you're on a more limited and I, this is where we we started the whole conversation is if you're in a more limited set or even if you're on the broad set there's still high value low value information Yep. Like, are we are we missing the um, that as part of the input? Like the the tighter. I guess you're you're describing something that that I think we're we're seeing as a tighter feedback loop, where you're interacting with the model is helping um, change change the model. Um, that's how you view it. Um, I would say, in a lot of times now, it. It's viewed as sort of magic uh, <laughs> yeah, that is sure. eventually going to replace humans. That's how it's being positioned and, and not so much positioned, but at least talked about as opposed to an assistant or a mechanism to help augment what we already do, which depending upon how you view it, takes us, let's say, 50 steps forward instead of maybe the 2000 steps somebody wants where uh, I just want a robot to do my job. Yeah. yeah. But uh, again, I, I view it as a tool because I see a lot of parallels with, with search and, and other things. And, and yeah. uh, like search has not displaced librarians because librarians know not only how to look things up, but they also know how to correlate things. Like if, sure. if you go in and, and say like, okay, I, I want a book about mm. uh, ancient history. And, and the first thing they're going to say is like, well, are you talking ancient Greek history, Roman, Chinese? So <laughs> that they will help you narrow down. Um, Chat, Chat yeah. GPT is starting to to be able to handle some of those correlation correlation events. Yeah, but... and, and and it's it's going to be great. Uh, and, and librarians are, are going to be able to teach you how to. They're, they're going to have to go another level. They're, well, they're, they're going to have to go another level beyond, which is they're going to have to be looking at these types of systems just like we are and saying, uh, yeah, this has generated a whole bunch of stuff, but only it's only 80% true or 50%. And then you're, you have even a bigger problem of figuring out which, which parts are true or not true. Exactly. Get, but the bottom line is that librarians are still going to be around. Yeah. Their, their well, task is going to maybe change. But, but for for a technical system, so part of the chat GPT for people is you're interacting with the human brain, right? Which which is your target is to you know interact, you know, produce something that's intelligible for people, which is actually a pretty fuzzy system um, and has certain pathways of high reward, the way I would the way I would describe it. Um mm -hmm. In a, if I was doing this from a technical perspective, right? Programs aren't right or wrong either. There's there's definitely degrees, and there's there's better things or worse things in a program. Automation is similar. Um, if you'll accept my distinguishing automation from programming, um, 
but they're, you're, they're your goal in, in, oh, okay, with programming, you've got two things, right? You've got to do the technical task, which has to pass the compiler or the computer's algorithm. But you're also might maybe writing for maintenance, supportability. Um, actually, we talked about this because we had talked about having a generative AI that would take code and then build your documentation from that. So you you could actually have code that has minimal comments and you could pass it back through a generative AI and say, hey, I, I need you to document this for me. Um, you can also take it further and say like, okay, I know the general architecture of the application that I want Give like give me a skeleton for the various microservices that, that I should have in there and, and how to interact with, let's say like a, an RDS instance or pops right. up or it, it would be fascinating for it to read something. And then, and maybe this is just, we're out of generative AI to say, if, if I, if I run this code, what are the side effects? What are the impacts? What are the right to actually anticipate without running the code or building the inf- right building there? What are, what are, what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, well, on the point I got to with the better systems, because if you take the example of automation and infrastructure, if those endpoints or those platforms had better mechanisms to do jar runs and, and help facilitate that test automation, as well as get back more granular data, yeah. I don't necessarily have to have AI do that because I have the mechanisms and also that in theory also makes it easier for AI when that happens. And so... Uh, I think there's a thought that we're going to get out of doing some of that hard work. What do you mean? What would you see that doing? In fact, so, I'm really curious about this path. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would see that doing is, so to, um, one of the things I've been working through the, the last handful of weeks is things like uh, thinking through automated patching. Usually the the issue with automated patching is how do I find out if there are updates or new packages to a a given platform, let's say as an example, from a a third-party vendor? It's the, how do I find out what potential impact that update or that patch has in a programmatic form? Typically, the challenge right now is I might have to go to the website, I might have to log in to see that there's a new version of the app. I might have to go to their change log and investigate, okay, are there any changes to anything that I'm running in my system that might be impacted by this upgrade? The same comes when you start doing automation. Is there any corollary systems that might be impacted by this change and how this change might work? And so at the moment, those kind of endpoints aren't exposed well. And so I don't think that AI is going to have us just instantly leapfrog there without taking care or addressing those systems. Certainly, I think there's an opportunity for AI to be used to help facilitate and build up those mechanisms. But I I think we've got to do some of that plumbing first in some regards. It'd be interesting just to have it inform the the risk factors. but but then again, that's we're not training AIs. So was part of what you're describing is I tried these things and it blew up. You're you're almost generating on the the the, the negative cases as much as you are on the positive cases. Well, to me, it's a richer data set that the AI mm-hmm. can then use to make a more informed decision, just like you as a human would. If as a vendor, I've provided with you here's a patch here's all of the components or features or functions in the system that are impacted. And you can drill quickly down into and say, you know what, I use these five features, but not these 10 features. So I'm likely in terms of risk assessment to focus on these five features that are impacted by this update to make a judgment of, should I make this upgrade or not as an example? I I think you would want to take it even more, or you could take it even more further with, with the AI. In the sense that you would train the AI on on learning what systems or subsystems you're actually using, and then watch the change logs for 
things that impact those specifically. Because for, for example, let, let, let's say let's say you you have uh, a, an API that does some kind of CRUD operation, but you only use the create or delete features, or, or let's say you, you only use create. You use create only because you treat the system as a as a ledger. So every, every time you use it, you add another line. Well, you might not care much about things that impact delete or or or, or update. So and I can mm -hmm. see an AI being able to learn that from your historical use of that API. And then, and then filter the the change log for you and say like there is there is nothing that 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 impacts your um, your current use of this API or there is one one change or five changes or however many that do impact your use of that. Um, I but that's I mean that's not generative from my perspective. What you're describing is 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 machine learning definitely and it, feeding it in is. enough enough data the generative stuff takes it another another step to be anticipatory um you you could you could use the generative aspect to um to use let's say your your pattern of of use of a system to uh, generate new regression tests. Let's say See, like that's this this that's this is where things I think start getting really interesting. Because um, I could see, I mean, it's the thing I see with with programming, and but I, I'm 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 pushing all the way into automation. A lot of the stuff I see with automation is is incredibly rote, except it's not. Right, it's is very similar, but not, you know, not the same. Not you know, it, it the the details do matter, the variations yep. matter. Um, oh boy! I mean, it, it, this this also takes us kind of in, into the the field of platform platform engineering, where um, we've discussed in the past that. Like it's difficult to make a general platform or platform interface, right? Uh, and and that's why companies end up basically doing in-house platform engineering because they're tailored the solutions to them to their own needs. Um, generative AI could certainly help uh, accelerate that. Like as opposed to to being bottlenecked by a a small team of engineers that manage the platform for you, you then have the generative AI produce the templates and modules for you, mm -hmm. and then the team ends up spending more time on supervision than on generation themselves. I actually think that a generative AI for platform engineering would be really, really interesting because your you, your back end is going to absorb a lot of the complexity anyway. And, and it's also at, a, at that point you're you're really just you're tuning in for the user's unique needs. Yeah, and kind it's of also a very practical use case hmm. because, or at least in, in my opinion, because I believe that. The first step in platform engineering when dealing with the users is to do recurrence specification. Like, it, like if a dev team comes to me and says, like, okay, I, I want to use the this cloud feature. I was like, well, explain me your, your use case, how, how you want to use it, why you want to use it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a conversation that a generative AI could have. Anyway, we're, we're out of we're out of time, but <laughs> yeah.
It's a really interesting. It's it, it's interesting just how slippery generative AI in some ways is as a concept, outside of the conversational chatbot stuff that we've seen, or drawing draw me a picture. Cool. And Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I I think that there's still a lot of work to to be done in in in, in the perception of, of how generative AI works, but uh, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be an interesting couple of years. Good kind of interesting. This 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 cat this has sailed. People are going to use it and use it in ways that were. Um, it's just too easy to to say, "Hey, try it and see what you get." Very hard to validate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very hard to validate. <laughs> ah, dear, it's exciting times. Cool. Thank you both. Yeah. Thanks for hosting. Till next time, Joe. Wow. There's so much here in how uh, generative AI is going to work and how we can apply it. We keep coming back to this idea that we want tighter closed loop systems, which is not how this, how we're building generative AI at the moment. Um, and so clearly guardrails, post-processing, tighter feedback loops are all going to be part of things going forward. And yet, uh, I think we all strongly agree the cat is out of the bag. Generative AI is going to be part of our daily lives and work experience. If that fascinates you or terrifies you, join us in the conversations at the 2030.cloud. You'll see our schedule. You can come in and be part of our roundtables, contribute your opinions and questions. We definitely want to have you part of the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.